Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Rowan Stam with RHS Guide Service. He's a younger gentleman. I'll call him a kid because he's younger than me, quite a bit younger than me. I could be his dad, and I'm not really that old, but I, I could definitely have a kid his age. And we're going to talk about fly fishing, river fishing, compare contrast rivers and lakes. Hopefully you guys can uh, pick up a few things to uh, help you put a few fish in the net. I'm joined once again by Mr. Brad Hoppy, who is the heart and soul of the podcast. Without Brad, we'd be nothing. So thank you for gracing us with your presence, Brad. Wow. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, I don't know where that all came from, but... I've been drinking appreciate- water over here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep drinking it, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's always good here, that's for sure, Joe. Yeah, it's, it is good. Unfortunately, it's now by the time you hear this podcast, it is not September when we're recording this. We are a little bit ahead of the Labor Day weekend. So if you wanted to get a report on what happened over Labor Day, I mean, I'm assuming I'm going to do some fishing because I am going north, but I am probably going to end up doing a little bit of swimming too because it's supposed to be like 90 degrees all weekend long. So hopefully it is, it wasn't 90 and that some people got on the water and caught some muskies, but we don't, we don't have a Labor Day report for you today. We'll, we'll get that with the, uh, with the next episode that we're going to record next week. Yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. I mean, and this is not, uh, well, I say it's not typical, but you know, honestly, the last couple of years, it's kind of went this way where the end of August, usually we see a cold front and there's some places that got some cooler weather in the last week or so, but man, it's just going to bounce right back up into full-blown summer the way it's looking. Yeah, I mean, I I wore pants today, probably only, I don't know, second time this summer. It was it was cooler out around here, but like you said, by the time the weekend rolls, it's Wednesday. Uh, other episode that we just did with the three Herbex just came out today, so we're way ahead of the game, Brad. But I know you're going to start doing some fishing. I'm hoping to do some fishing. I have lots of obligations with my children, so we're trying to get ourselves a little bit ahead so we're not getting to Monday morning and saying like, we need a guest for this Wednesday. So we're, we have a few things planned out, Brad. I actually think I have this guest lined up. I got next week's guest lined up and I have another one that we could potentially do even recording before, you know, football season starts. That's perfect because, uh, you're right. I'm going to be on the water every day here shortly. So it's good. Um, it's that time of the year. It's the favorite time for a lot of musky anglers. September is always a great month. And uh, that leads us into, I guess, a little Team Rhino deal where they can get that gear. Absolutely. I was first, before we went down that, that was a perfect segue, and you were right. That was absolutely what I had in my head, Brad. But I wanted to thank everybody for their support of Team Rhino Outdoors, and I'll speak for Brad with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. We had an absolutely fabulous summer. Unfortunately, summer is now kind of over. Technically, we have like three weeks left, but summer is essentially over. Kids are back in school. All that fun stuff's happening, and I want to thank everybody for their support of the you know the podcast and the businesses over the course of this past summer. It was uh, it was great. Again, we've continued to get lots of support from lots of people, and we we are very grateful and very thankful. So, with that, absolutely, Jeff, absolutely. And with that being said. If you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. If you're looking for tubes, we have tubes. You want bomb squad baits, we have those. Bulldogs, medusas, rods, reels, we have it all, and we have lots of it. It's just been insane how much stuff we've gotten in the shop. The shop is an absolute mess every single week right now. 
because I sent my helpers off on the bus. <laughs> and so that's uh, just me and my wife fending for ourselves for the most part. But it's been great. We had a lot of stuff here. So if you're looking for stuff, and uh, I believe there's actually a few new colors of different braids that should hopefully be showing up soon. So if you don't follow us on social media, make sure you check out our Facebook page or Instagram page and then potentially even a, a tweet on occasion that's pretty rare. And then uh, check out our YouTube channel. And then you can also go over and you can visit with Brad and Brad will tell you all about Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Yeah, for sure. You know, if you're looking for any kind of blade bait and of any sort, uh, Muskie Mayhem Tackle has it. And real simple, you can check out muskiemayhemtackle.com. You can get right on the site, pick out uh, any of our standard colors, as well as build and design your own custom right on our website. So check those out. Otherwise, if you don't have time for that, you can hit up pretty much any retailer and uh, you're going to find our product there. All right, Brad, short and sweet. Let's get out of here and let's get uh, dial up our conversation with Rowan Stam, RHS Guide Service. All right, our guest this week is Rowan Stam, RHS Guide Service. And Rowan is a 50 50 fly conventional angler. So we're going to kind of go down, you know, both both uh sense you know both streets there we're going to go down the uh the gear side we're going to go on the fly side so hopefully if you're whatever way you prefer to chase muskies you can get something out of the episode but first off i want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule rowan for uh for talking muskies with us it's always great to have a new guest on yeah thanks for having me on very excited all right so rowan well first off i want to say you come highly recommended so the bar is set very high for you. Like I, I had somebody send me a text and said, you really need to get this kid on your podcast. I'm assuming you are, you're, you're fairly young. Is that right? Yep. 23. There you go. I can call you a kid. I could technically easily have had you as my <laughs> son and I wouldn't have had to be in high school when I had you. So yes, I'm going to call you a kid. Yeah. And, I have it under good authority that the, the fellow who texted you was drinking that night. So you might be, uh, might be in for it. <laughs> so he set me up is what you're telling me. He might have. All right. Perfect. That's the best type of uh, text message I can get the setup. Well, let's um, let's go down the backstory with you. Let's talk about what got you into musky fishing. First of all, let's talk about what got, what got you into fishing. And then second of all, more specifically, muskies. And then we'll talk about the guide service and feel free to offer up any information to fill in those gaps. Yeah, sweet. So I, I really kind of started fishing for muskies. I, uh, it's, it's a little wild, but when I was a toddler, for some reason I had it in my head that I wanted to go drag suckers with my dad. And, uh, we have a family place up in Hayward and we'd go up there every summer. And I must've heard it from him or one of his friends that, the, you know, muskies were eating suckers. And, uh, my dad let me clip a, clip an eight inch sucker to my Walmart Snoopy rod and you know, the thing died in a couple seconds and was dragging around on the surface. No one really thought I was going to catch a fish in about 10 minutes into the day. I caught a, a, a mid thirties inch muskie and uh, I don't think I've really stopped talking about them since. So how, how old were you at this time? The story is that I was two and a half. I, you know, I obviously don't remember it, but, uh, I'm, We'll give or take a couple of years there. I mean, at two and a half, like muskies aren't typically something on, like that's not the first thing on somebody's head. Was there a, I mean, did your dad musky fish previous? To yeah. This? Okay. Yeah. My dad, my dad had been musky fishing for a while. He would always go out with his friends while we were up, up at the cabin. And, you know, I, 
being a little kid, wanted to go fishing with my dad. It was like, what, what can I come? What can I come? That was, that was really what got me into it. I still fish with my dad to this day. That's great. I mean, it's the best way to go about doing it. You know, I, yep. I'm jealous of everybody that's still out there fishing with their dad. I miss mine every single day. I wish that I could pretty much give anything to go take another, you know, trip with him. It was, uh, those are some of the best memories, but now, you know, un- unfortunately I'm not making those memories, but I'm making new ones with, with my son and my daughter and hopefully my other son and my other daughter get involved too at some point, but so far it's just those two. So that's, it's great to hear. It's, I mean, that's the way these, that's the way, you know, muskies and, and fishing in general typically gets passed down. It's from, you know, one generation to the next, the dad, the grandpa, whoever fishes. Oddly enough, my dad, I, I took my dad fishing more than my dad ever took me when I was a kid. He just wasn't into it. I, I don't know. I just picked it up somewhere along the line and kind of filled in the gaps a little bit with dad. But for the most part, when we were fishing, I was the one, <laughs> I was the one driving the bus there. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely what, what became of my dad and I's fishing relationship. He kind of faded on it a little bit as, uh, as he was raising me and my brother and, and I was always pushing to go out musky fishing. All right. So then let's talk about guide services. What, you know, what made you want to be a guide? You know, I, I wanted to do it from a young age, probably. I, we went on a, we tried to go on a, a guided musky trip when I was probably 10 or 12 and uh, got stormed out. And it was just like, man, people can actually, actually do this and go fishing and be in a boat every day. It, it just seemed perfect. I've always wanted to be outside and need something to burn off a little steam long road to get there but it definitely that's it's sort of just always what i wanted to do well look last week we talked about the road to get there a little bit or maybe it was the week before i don't know the days running they run together but or the episodes do let's talk about the road slightly i don't want to go too far down the road because we you know we did it with with brad and and chase a little bit ago you know, was there a particular moment that helped jumpstart your career? What do you think was one of the biggest things to, to get you into guiding? Yeah. So after, after high school, I had taken a few years where I wasn't musky fishing as much as I, as I had previously and uh, got a job landscaping with one of my dad's uh, high school buddies. And he was fly fishing for muskies and uh, we'd go out after work and fish and I'd at the time I wanted to go to Montana and guide, guide fly fishing trips out there. We kept fishing and I realized that I could maybe, maybe do it here. And, uh, really that like being able to fish with someone else and, and share that was, was huge for me to, me to push towards it. And then, uh, for the past couple of years, I was working for musky fool fly fishing company and they, they really set me up to, and helped me, uh, with foot in the door and, it was definitely huge to work for a company like that. Well, I know at one point this winter, I saw you on a episode of Keys Outdoors, I believe, right? Yep, yep. We were up in uh, northern Wisconsin, fished with uh, the Muskie Fool Boys and and Mike. It was it was quite the trip. I'm not much of a camper, so uh, I like to say that I'm outdoorsy, but not overnight. So let's talk about that a little bit then. Was it a you know full blown wilderness camping trip for you? Oh yeah. Uh, we had to, you know, pack everything into two little rafts. We were, you know, dragging them across shallow sections of the river, no phone service. It was, uh, it was something I slept in a hammock between two trees because I, I don't have a tent. And I, uh, I was like, do I really need to get a tent for this two day trip? 
And uh, Dan was like, well, I've got a hammock. I was like, hammock sounds great. But I didn't really think of the logistics of actually sleeping in a hammock. And I uh, had to really jimmy rig a, a bug net and a tarp to keep the rain off us because it, it did rain most of the most of the evening. It does not sound like the most fun. Brad, how many hammocks are you sleeping in at night on the side of a river? I, I don't know if I've ever slept in one. I've been in hammocks, but I don't think I've ever slept in one. <laughs> Especially when it's raining. I can imagine that's got to be a kind of miserable experience. You know, I remember... Uh, really trying to go to sleep and then i just sort of woke up and the river was next to me and it was sunny out and it, it was nice to wake up it wasn't so nice to try and go to sleep i do have to say you know from like a uh from a sponsor standpoint that episode didn't really do much as far as selling fishing equipment but it was probably one of the coolest episodes that he's done i just like that that wilderness float trip stuff i guess that's kind of what you know, gets me into like, I, I've always wanted to have a jet boat. I love fishing rivers and stuff like that because of those adventures. You know, you just, there's very few people around. It's very wilderness. Yeah. It's really awesome to get away from people. It's, it's hard to, hard to match for sure. All right. So Rowan, let's say that I don't have any, any idea and, and, and we're not even saying it. I have no idea about when it comes to flies. I've a gear guy through and through, have been for my entire muskie career. Let's say I want to go and get some gear. Let's talk about what I need and let's maybe give me an idea of what we're going to have to spend to get involved in. I'm not talking high-end stuff. I'm not talking generic stuff. Let's go middle of the road fly, yeah. fly equipment. You know, you could probably get into it for mid you know five six hundred bucks that's rod reel line and a couple flies and you know you really only need a couple flies they mostly do the the same thing they turn side to side hover move a lot most people start with a uh, with a 10 weight rod i generally tell people to start with an 11 just because they've got a little bit more backbone and if you if you do tie into a, a real pissed off mid 40s inch fish that 10 weight is going to be tough to muscle them around and obviously you want to put them in the net as fast as possible to reduce stress on those fish and then uh yeah a, a couple flies uh there's there's a lot of guys making them commercially a lot of guys tie their own i i personally tie my own because i i want them to do a specific thing and uh it's it's hard to find that out on the market it's really not as complicated as people make it out to be. It definitely seems like a ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid to chase muskies with a fly rod. But in the end, you're, you're really just going to the, the same spots that, that you muskie fish with a gear rod and, and throwing flies in them. You know, like, let's go brand name on a reel. What would be a... What would be a good reel? You know, like I mean, everybody's talking, you know, Abu Garcias, and they're talking Shimano tranks and all that stuff. What's the equivalent to that in flies? Yeah, uh, most people use uh, Reddington Behemoths. That's kind of the the standard. Lamson liquids are another really good one. I'm not huge, so you know, the the gear guys, it's always a really nice reel, and then maybe a a less nice rod. You you know, you're spending the money on on the reel, and it's the total opposite with fly fishing you you want a rod that you can that you're comfortable casting that you like casting that's going to perform well when you do hook a fish and uh the reel is just holding line you're we never i shouldn't say never but almost never put a muskie on a fly reel and reel them in 
you're pretty much handlining them in the entire time. All right, that makes sense. I would say it's you know probably I guess I would say that's opposite of the way it would be with you know con, uh, conventional gear. You know, you're going to want to have yourself a a little nicer reel, in my opinion. And you, yeah, maybe, everyone wants a Tranks 500, and uh, and then it doesn't matter what rod you get as long as it chucks bulldog. Yep, exactly, and that's pretty much how it's going to be. Obviously, there's there's other tools. There's nicer tools. There's lighter weights and stuff like that. But you could get by with you know, with a lesser rod and and get a little nicer reel. Obviously, yeah, like, absolutely. There, are, there are benefits to having a nicer rod as well. I mean, we, we can go down that road all day long, but. I got to ask, I think that you should probably explain, Ron, most of our listeners probably are gear guys. So, you know, can you explain that hook set, that stripping process versus uh, reeling? Yeah. So a fly rod doesn't have enough backbone to drive hooks in, especially if you're using treble hooks, which a lot of guys are using on their flies these days. Basically what you want to do is you really got to let them eat it. It's not a, uh, and it's the same with like top water or or glide baits or suix where you, you're going to see the eat and you're going to get excited and pull it away from them. You really want to keep that rod down, point it right at their face and use your stripping hand to just pull the line as hard as you can. And then do that like 10 more times. I pretty much just set the hook all the way until they're in the net. So that whole process, I mean, I've been around a few people fly fishing and it's that natural reaction of a hook set with the rod becomes pretty tough for fly anglers. And I'm assuming you've probably dealt with that in the past. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, switching when I switched over to fly fishing, uh, God, it was like, eight years ago now i it took me probably five years before i was really confident in my hook set it was it's it's a lot and then going back to gear fishing you know in the past five years i've i've started gear fishing a lot more again the you know i i kind of got over having to catch every single fish on a fly rod it, it was the exact opposite now i'm conditioned to keep my rod down and not move it and a, and a fish eats a rubber bait and i just stand there like an idiot or reel my reel really fast and pull it away from them yeah that's kind of habit farming i think uh that would probably be my biggest challenge i mean some of the pleasure of fishing with gear is actually taking that hook that right oh yeah there's nothing better than just laying into them with a gear rod let's talk a little bit about flies you know you, you mentioned it you're like uh fishing muskies with flies is one of the dumbest things you could do like what was the attraction to even start fishing for flies? Because I've said it before, like, like musky fishing is tough, right? And then to go and decide you want to do it with, you know, fl- on a fly, <laughs> it makes it even a little bit tougher. Like, what yeah. was the, what was the tra- attraction or the obsession with it? Well, my uncle, uh, my uncle Keith lives out in Seattle, and he had been fly fishing for many years. We'd gone on a couple couple trout trips. And then I, I walked into Hayward Fly Company in uh, up in Hayward, and they had pictures of muskies on the wall and, you know, a couple mounts. And it was like, you can actually catch a muskie on a fly rod? And I was just sort of sold. I don't know exactly what what the driving factor was. I You know, kind of checking it off. I, I had to do it. But then when you when you hook one on a fly rod, it, it definitely, it gets you hooked. They don't react the same way that they do when you lay into them with a nine foot extra heavy gear rod. They feel that flex and they really try and try and play you. There's a lot of, lot of jumping, a lot of thrashing both side. It's, 
it can be downright rowdy. You know, you're like musky fishing. The fight will last. I don't know. Some of these guys on YouTube, you see it last about 32 seconds at the most. Eight, yep. eight seconds they hit the net. I'm assuming this battle is going to last for a little bit longer than that. Maybe a little bit. I mean, if you if you know what you're doing and you keep your rod down and you're not putting it over your head and using the backbone of the rod and you're really, you know, applying side pressure and using your stripping hand to move them, it's, it's not that hard to put a fish in the net fairly quick. I always tell people that my biggest muskie was a, it was a 50 on green Bay and I put it in the net in six seconds. So it's definitely, they, they can screw with you a little bit more, but it's all about how you play them. I think that a lot of people think that the muskie fights super, super hard. Right. And a lot of times some of those bigger fish fight less than a smaller fish. And I definitely, I truly believe that you should drive that fish to the bag, right? You want to bring the, I don't care if you're using a fly rod or regular gear, you want that fish to the boat as fast as you can. And, and I probably force it more than some, but I definitely believe that you want to get them to the boat fresh and you want to get them in that bag as quick as you can. And that fight usually is shorter than what people probably remember in their own heads. Yep. I'm in, I'm in the same boat with you, Brad. I, a lot of the fly guys maybe play them a little, little easier than, than I do, or especially that gear guys do, but it, if you know what you're doing, you can put them in the net fast. And that's, that's definitely ideal. Longer they're on the more chance you're just going to lose them. I'm assuming that that kind of comes with the 11 weight versus the 10 weight that you were talking about. Yep. That's definitely part of it. Uh, and that's, and it's really for casting bigger flies. The, the 10 weights just don't have the backbone to push a 12 inch fly out into the world. So it's, uh, guys are going to get a 10 weight. They're going to go fishing. They're going to throw their single Bufords and their, their small, small flies. And then they're going to get a big fly and realize they can't cast it. Or they're going to hook a really big pissed off fish, get it both side and try and steer it around. And it's just going to either break their rod or you're just not going to be able to move it. Yeah, they're going to get owned by that fish. Yep. Sounds like you're a big guy, too. I'm wondering if that correlates with uh, your gear fishing, then, too. You like bigger baits? Yeah, yep. I definitely like bigger baits. I'm My average fly is probably 12 inches, and some of them are even... I, I think the biggest fly in my box right now is 24 inches. That's interesting. Um, and what style fly is your choice? I mean, generally, I, I realize you probably switch things up here and there but uh, i'm kind of curious what that fly looks like yeah so uh they've got an absolute pile of deer hair on them it's kind of absurd how much bucktail you use in one fly but they're uh you know big and furry and they walk side to side it's the you know glide baits have always been one of the most productive ways to catch muskies especially in tough conditions and uh as long as my fly walks side to side, that's, that's all I want. Now, how about waiting? I mean, is there waiting that you're doing? Or are you relying on your hooks as weight or how does that work? I'm doing a, a whole bunch of different things. I mean, most of my flies start out weightless and then I'll maybe clip an egg sinker on somewhere or most of the, most of my good glide flies are completely weightless. Uh, there are, I do fish a lot of big jigs and it's not necessarily like, you know, vertical jigging, like the, the gear guys are doing. We're, we're casting them out and we're dragging them on the bottom, just dredging. And, uh, those are 
obviously going to have a whole lot of weight involved. Dumbbell eyes, lead wraps, egg sinkers, the the whole nine yards. And and throwing weight in glide flies is definitely I I do it and it can get an awesome awesome action. But I I've just found that you get that really sweet stall and and a lot of travel out of a weightless fly. So do you end up using casting flies with your gear as well? Is it something that you switch back and forth then? I don't personally all that much. Uh, I have a, a couple of those months flies was actually fishing with Andy this past weekend and uh, they're awesome. They catch fish. It's just every time I, I put one on, I'm just sort of like, man, I, I should just be fly fishing, but I definitely give them to clients, especially if I get a, a client who's uh wants to fly fish for muskies and then realizes that they don't actually know how to cast and uh we're halfway into the day and they're really getting beaten down i'll give them a give them a fly and a gear rod yeah, that makes sense so i mean you're, you're switching things up periodically depending on the conditions and so on and so forth but yeah and that goes back to like why i i throw both is you know like i said we've got three moves fly fishing you got a fly that goes on the bottom you got a fly that walks side to side and you got a fly that makes noise on the surface and we got a million toys to play with with the gear rod so you know sometimes they are just not eating flies and that is 100 okay middle of july summer peak they're on deep breaks and you got to get your your bait down eight ten feet i'm going to be throwing rubber 100 of the time you sound like you've been corrupted by gear a little bit. <laughs> well, I know a place that you can get some gear, and that's Team Rhino. Jeff, yep, you, I, you... I do that sometimes. I've seen the, <laughs> I've seen the name come across, yep. <laughs> All right, so, Rowan, I got a question for you. What's something that you've learned fly fishing that you've been able to apply to your gear fishing that's helped put more fish in the net? The biggest thing was just interacting with fish. Flies are going to show you a lot of fish, especially if you fish them slow, which is what a lot of people do to start. People just have a real hard time moving flies fast and triggering bites. Being able to contact that many fish and have that many interactions is, is huge. And my boat side game went up tenfold since I started fly fishing. And that's like that and like the stall and just learning how to trigger those fish to bite. Because it's so interactive and you're, you know, you're touching your line. You're making that fly move every single time. I feel like sometimes when I'm gear fishing, I get like a little lost where my lure is. And, you know, you're, you're just ripping it. I can kind of sit there on autopilot and, and run a bulldog and know that I'm in the zone somewhere. With fly fishing, you just really got to be like in tune with making them eat the thing. Because it's really easy, just like glide baits, just have them follow it all day long. And you'll sit there thinking that they're never going to eat that fly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say about, you know, when you when you talked about how a lot of people work a fly, like, really slow. And I was like, well, that's kind of like glide baits. A lot of people say, oh, I see a lot of fish with glide baits because they, they work them real rhythmic, you know. And they do a lot of that times with suics as well. I, I try to get, I, I've, it's something I picked up from Steve Jensen and he's, changes the cadence all the time in every bait that he ever throws so it'll be you know pop pop and then it'll be you know a, maybe a slower couple pops and then it'll be four pops and just he just keeps varying it up and he's like that triggers way more strikes absolutely i mean you have to change it up there's no if you just sit there and strip 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 all the way back to the boat or even fish it fast but you don't you add any pauses or or anything else it's it just doesn't work i mean it will eventually but it's just not it's not productive 
So I got to ask about the figure eight with a fly rod because, you know, we've had a few fly guys on, but I don't think we've ever talked about both sides tactics with a fly rod. Maybe you can run through some of that. Yeah. The, the hardest thing you're going to run into is that it's, it goes back to the backbone of a fly rod and it's really hard to accelerate next to the boat. So that, you know, especially if you got a real hot fish, it can be tough to take it away from it fast enough. But what I'm doing is it's very similar to gear fishing. It's mostly in the, in holding your rod. That's going to be different. You know, I'm, I'm 10, 15 feet from the boat. I can start seeing my fly come into view. I'm going to dunk my rod real nice and deep, get it kind of angled under the boat to direct their attention away. And I'm going to move. So my, I fish right-handed. So I've got the, the foregrip in my right hand with the line pinched my stripping hand, my left hand, I'm going to bring that around to the butt of the rod and then just stir the pot. I'm going to use my palm on the, on the end and just drive that thing around in the biggest, widest circle that I possibly can. And then once they eat there, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys who tell you that they like guys who thumb the reel with, with bait casters and let them swim away and then set back on them. There's going to be guys who tell you that they let them take four feet of fly line and, and set back on them. I truly do not believe that that is possible. You're, you're basically going to pull back as hard as you can and then hope for the best. I like it. I like the way you explained it too. I, I think you did a great job there. I, one of the things that I can relate back to is we did a video on, I'm trying to remember, it was called Focus on the Aces quite a few years ago, but it was basically all about figure eight fish. And we had multiple different guides and, and different uh, musky anglers that were on that video. And the cool part about all of that is I remember Billy Beekner coming up and saying, if you don't know which way to set, basically just set straight back into your body, right? So if you don't know yes. where the position of the bait is to the, to the uh, fish's orientation next to the boat, come back towards you. And basically, I would say that that's probably what you're doing when you're uh, stripping that line in a figure eight set. Yep, absolutely. I've, you know, I've tried a lot of times to cross their eyes and set back over their head like you would with a bucktail or something. And it straight up does not work with the fly rod. You're going to load the hell out of your rod you're going to get three head shakes. They're going to open their mouth and the thing's just going to pop out. You, it, 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 you do have to wait a second. You got to let them settle out and pull back in. But if you pull back into your body, instead of just swinging your rod back over their head, it's going to land in the corner pocket more times than not. That's amazing. Again, another challenge. If you're a gear guy and you're going to go do the fly stuff, man, that would be really hard for me. Actually. It's tough. It's really tough. I still screw up more than I, than I put in the net for sure. Most of these baits, trebles or single hook? There's, you know, it's a very divisive subject among the fly community. I'm a treble hook guy. I, I like them. I think I catch more fish and I keep more fish pinned. But, uh, but a lot of dudes are fishing big single hooks. There's guys who only fish single hooks. There's guys who fish barbless. I, you know, I, I fish barbless for trout. And I always say that if I thought that fishing barbs actually really hurt muskies, that I would stop doing it. But I, I have not. I've got a hook cutter. So I just cut the treble hook out of their face. Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, one of those deals when you get into the fly community. I mean, I've done some of that fly fishing and fly guiding out in Wyoming. So I, I understand the game a little bit. It's been many years. But there's the purists out there. And that's a whole different level man and I, it's pretty amazing to me the fly community is is quite the uh quite the show if you will 
Yes, it can be. It can be a lot. Love it for sure. Love fly fishing. Love fishing dry flies for trout. But uh, a lot of guys just can't can't get out of their ways. And you know, you you learn a lot if you you know maybe throw a bucktail here and there. You become a better uh, fly angler for muskies if you if you fish gear. That's an interesting uh, comment. I like that that you're saying that. Uh, I think that you know, as anglers, I've said it many times, but I think multi-species anglers benefit, you know, for every species that they choose to fish. If you're fishing other species, it's going to help you with your musky fishing. And now you're saying that with the fly world versus gear. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. The the guys who just have never thrown a baitcaster for muskies, just, you know, you don't, you don't know the moves. There's, there's the the standard stuff, and it, it's really hard to catch muskies if you don't know the basics. And uh, if you're trying to jump to fly fishing for muskies without ever fishing for them, period, it's you're gonna have a hard time. Another thought, I don't know even what triggered this thought, but the best way to get your hook set dialed for muskies on a fly rod is to go fish for bluegills. The multi-species thing, that's what that's what got me going on this, is uh, I always tell my clients if they're struggling with, with trout set and fish, go to the pond and fish for bluegills and keep your rod down because they're going to eat it in a really similar way to a muskie and you have to set the hook in a really similar way to a muskie. And it's just a great way to get a ton of fish interactions and like actually learn how to do it. I can, I can see that correlation for sure. That makes perfect sense. I, we love fishing bluegills. My wife is a fanatic. I do quite a bit of it before the musky season starts, and then even a little bit in the winter. So I, I would definitely see that as being uh, a great opportunity to kind of practice that or hone your skill. Yeah, and it's wildly fun with a fly rod. Absolutely. So, Rowan, what are you? What are you normally fishing out of? Are you shoreline fishing, like wading? Or are you floating? Um, I'm kind of curious how you're attacking these rivers and how you manage all your gear. It, it depends on the spot for sure. We're I'm running a mixture of uh, a drift boat for the smaller rivers, and then I have an 18 foot Aluminacraft tunnel haul boat for larger rivers, flowages, lakes, stuff like that. And, uh, the, the huge advantage to having a boat with a motor for musky fishing is that you can go back on fish when you're floating down a river in a rowboat, you might pass all the fish and then, you know, you, you move one and you want to go back on it. Well, guess what? They're five miles behind you and you're never going to see that fish again. You know, you want to go back to it on moon. Nope. Not going to happen. So it's, it's definitely awesome to be able to rip around and, and go back on those fish. And that's part of why I like bigger rivers and being able to being able to drive around and cover a lot of ground. Yeah, that makes good sense. So you're able to carry a bunch of gear and that's what I, I was going to ask you about measuring fish. I mean, I wasn't sure if, you know, your drift boat is big enough where you got a bump board, you got all the gear and tackle. Yeah. Sorry. It turns, it's a definitely a space management kind of thing, but I, I carry a bump board. We have one of those folding Stowmaster nets that, that folds up in the corner and is a nightmare to deploy every time someone hooks a fish. Yeah, no, I, we're still generally in a drift boat. Once we get a fish, we have to get out of the boat just to make it safe for the fish and, and everyone else. Cause there's just not a lot of room to, to measure them and do stuff like that. I definitely carry a ton of gear. I'm a bit of a, a gear freak. My boat looks like a disaster every day. That's all right. I understand that concept. I fish with Chase. 
So <laughs> it looks like a tornado went through our boat every day after he's done with all the baits that he tried. Yeah, I'm I'm always my joke is like, oh let's see what's on my console after the end of a day of guiding. <laughs> That's awesome. So let me ask you this. You do gear fishing and you do fly fishing. What percentage are you doing of both when it comes to guiding? I mean, are you getting sought after as on the fly side more so than the gear side, or how does that look? Definitely, definitely more fly fishermen. Uh, that's just kind of where I where I put my foot in in the industry for sure. And uh, but there's a lot of gear guys who haven't experienced the river thing, and that's I'm always happy to go do that. It's it's really fun and gear guys catch fish it's it's definitely a, a very productive way to catch muskies especially in a river where they haven't seen a whole lot of gear there's a lot of rivers up north where you know guys have been pretty much exclusively fly guiding these rivers for for a long time and you go down that river with a double 10 or a prop it and they eat it like they act like they've never seen it before that's pretty mind-boggling to me i mean i think that's cool but uh it's really cool if you're a gear guy right but i think the river side of things i think it gets overlooked when it comes to lakes versus rivers and rivers are special and i i've been on some really cool river uh fishing trips but i think it gets overlooked by most guys i think a lot of guys just have it in their head that all the fish on the river are small and a lot of them are, especially in the smaller rivers, but there's a ton of really sweet fish to be had in the rivers. And when it gets towards fall, those things get so ridiculously fat. It's just, it's awesome to hook into one of those late November river fish and they can really push the numbers on girth. Yeah, that makes good sense. I, I think river fish are so much stronger too, and they, they do provide you a better fight. Maybe it's, maybe it's the conception of, uh, not having the boat to actually get on some of those rivers. You know, you're talking about, you, do a lot, you know, and, and that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah, it, it's definitely hard. Access is impossible. Boat ramps suck. I mean, I'm dumping that drift boat off bridges with straight rock faces down, grinding fiberglass against the rocks in the morning. It is, it is definitely hard to get into those places, especially with the last three years of scraping low water that we've had. Yeah, that makes it challenging, that's for sure. But I think you're right on track. I mean, it's worth the, worth the time and effort. And it's a whole different experience as well. Totally. It's it's really cool to get on moving water. The fish act totally different. Jeff, I think this is the time when you, uh, you need to start looking again for one of those uh, jet boats. I do, but I need to find more time to use the current boats that I have. That's what my wife tells me all the time. She's like, you'd hardly use the ones that you have right now. What do you need another one for? Which... I mean, I hate to admit this, but she is right. <laughs> you got to beg for forgiveness after the fact. <laughs> I, I think that it, I think if I just went out and bought one, she'd get over it pretty quick. She's been pretty easy that way. I mean, one time I went out and bought a Ranger 619, and I didn't even tell her I was coming home with it. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I kind of told her I was coming home with it, but I don't think she believed that I was coming home with it. She's just like, yeah, whatever. But, no, I came home with it, and I didn't sleep on the couch at all. So, I mean, she's she's pretty pretty good as far as that's concerned. Just put it under a tarp in the garage for a couple months and then be like, what, what, that old boat? I've always had that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so Brad was talking about, you know, rivers being unutilized or whatever. I've always heard that, 
moon doesn't necessarily affect river fish as much, same as like a cold front wouldn't. Would you agree with that or not? Oh, God. I mean, yes and no. The muskie paradox, it, it doesn't matter until it does. I've definitely noticed that the bigger rivers turn on on moon for sure. Uh, I, I would say that they're biting more often than not on rivers. They've just got a higher metabolism. They got to sit in the current. They, they have to eat. So it's, uh, it's definitely not as big of a thing, but I, I pay attention to it. And I, I notice them go on windows like they would on lakes and, and, uh, yeah, no, some of my best days have always been around new moon, new moon and full moon. I'm not going to ask you which one's better. I'll save that for five questions. <laughs> uh, Here's the deal. I mean, think about this. You have the opportunity to help clients get out there and do some of this river fishing, some stuff that they've maybe never experienced. And you don't have to do it fly fishing. We can do it with gear. And, and I think that's something that everybody should go actually try to do this. Because if you haven't been on a river, big, small, I don't care what it is, you need to get out there and gear fish on some rivers. And I think, Rowan, you got the means to make that all happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a riot. I've, I fell in love with the rivers at a, an early age. It's just, it's a totally different experience. I love lake fish. I do it a whole lot, probably more than uh, most of the fly guys. But it's it's pretty awesome to go out on a river and watch a fish wake off the bank on a on a top water lure and, and smash it. So, Rowan, if you were to compare your river fishing to your lake fishing, what connections do you see between the two of them, whether that be a structure or maybe some wind blown versus the current and so on and so forth? What are the two yeah. true connections that you can relate to? The seasonal progression is, is kind of similar. The, you know, in the springtime, you're going to find them in the spawning areas. It's going to be shallow. They're going to they're be pretty visible. And then as the season goes on, they're going to move deeper. They might not relate necessarily so much to like depth, but at, but to current. So in, in the middle of the summer, a lot of the fish we find are in like good moving current, sometimes, you know, rapid water. And, uh, I, I kind of, it's not the same because it's not like they're just sliding off the break line on a big lake, but it's, it's similar. And I'm, I always try and make that parallel. Like if I'm out on the lakes, I know that they're eating rubber on a, on a big flowage nearby. I'm probably going to put a fly down deep in some deeper, fast water. Beyond that. I mean, it is really different. The, the fish just act totally different. We don't get a ton of fish coming into the boat at a hundred miles an hour. We definitely get them following, but most of the time if they follow and you see them coming, they're not going to eat it. If you, if you don't see them coming and they just smash it next to the boat, that that's awesome. But, but for the most part, those fish don't really want to move very far to eat something. So it's definitely those slower presentations and hanging in their face is, is key on the river. Yeah, I can see that being the case. I mean, they don't want to fight that current any longer than they have to, to get that meal. Not at all. How about lakes? versus rivers as far as like structure as far as weed beds and, and rocks and all the different things that you can find in both um is that something that you can relate to in the beginning of the year spawning grounds 10 you know 90 percent of the fish and 10 percent of the water those shallow gravelly areas right up next tight to shore maybe a little wood and a, a little bit of emergent vegetation that's where a lot of the fish are going to be holding 
as you move through the season and the water gets hotter, like I was saying previously, they, they definitely start relating more to current and deeper water. And they're going to try and get into cooler, more oxygenated water. As it goes on, they, they really, they just do weird things. So they'll come out of six inches of water. Sometimes they'll be sitting in front of a rock in ripping fast current. They, they really can be kind of anywhere and nowhere on the rivers. And it's not necessarily, it can be patternable in a day where you go out there and it's like, oh, they're in front of the rock today. And you, you cast at every rock and a muskie comes off of it. But then the next day you go out there and you cast at the rocks and they're just seemingly nowhere. You can float right over them and they're just, there's no muskie there. And then maybe they're in the wood or they're buried in the grass. They definitely, you know, a cold front will do kind of the same thing that they do on lakes especially in the middle of the summer, they're going to tuck into cover and be like a little bit hard to get. They'll either go way up into the wood or, or way up into the grass or, or down in the current, which can be tough for sure. It's definitely, I definitely use a lot of those moves that I use on lakes to get them on rivers, but I just have to change my idea of what structure is for sure. So I got to ask, you know, you're talking about slow moving and, and you want to make sure that uh, with your flies that you're hanging those flies in their, in their face. Let's transition over to the gear side of things. What kind of baits and what styles are you doing on those rivers where you want that slower presentation? Uh, any, you know, glide baits and jerk baits are, are probably my favorite. Suic, uh, minnow baits, really big minnow bait fan. Slammer minnows, jakes are probably my, my top two top two the uh the feller who texted jeff and asked if i would come on the podcast has got me onto the vexers recently being the the senate follower that he is and i I love those things on the river you can turn them at a 90 degree you just twitch the rod a little bit and they flip and sit sideways and that's a huge trigger top waters bucktails work great i definitely have a little less confidence in in bucktails on the river sorry brad but uh they just, they don't seem to want to chase every once in a while. I get one to just like come out and smash it works better on, on the bigger rivers where you get a lot more room to play with them, but definitely the smaller rivers I'm, I'm opting more for a, a suic or, or a minnow bait or a glide bait, something that I can put in their face and leave it there. So you're gear fishing and you're in your jet boat or you got that tunnel hole. So are you fishing upstream or are you trying to, basically move downstream and then go back upstream when you're done or how, how are you approaching that river you know a lot of times it, it i'm a little bit all over the place some days i want to put in at this boat ramp and run eight miles up the river and float back down sometimes i'm going to put in at the top and run down to a couple spots and then sp- spend most of my day parked on on the fish up close to the boat ramp so it kind of depends on where i i think the fish are going to be for the most part i'm fishing with the boat going downstream it just seems like it's more productive. You know, your, your boat's moving upstream, the current's moving downstream, your lure always just ends up behind the boat. If you're, if you're floating down with the current, you can cover ground a whole lot more effectively. I can see that as being the, the right way. And then the other side to that too, is you probably, you're using less uh, battery power with your trolling motor and so on. Yep. Yep. I'm just bumping it to slow myself down and keep myself, keep myself positioned. I mean, I will say that is one thing about fishing rivers that's a whole different challenge is just trying to, you know, boat control for rivers is, that's a whole new animal that a lot of lake fishermen don't, they don't have mastered like a river fisherman does. It's, it's a lot. It took me a long time to figure it out. I, 
am never away from my trolling motor. It's a constant chore. I do not fish with clients. I'm sitting in the boat, driving the boat. I mean, I can see that's, that makes sense. Like you want to make sure your boat control spot on. Yep. It's, and I'm a boat control freak. I've, if that boat is one foot off where I want it to be, I just might not be the truth, but I just feel like you can't catch a muskie if the boat's not in the right place. I think there's another part to that though, too. You're basically, you're managing the boat. Like you said, you want to have the boat control. The cool thing about hearing you say that you're not fishing and don't get me wrong. There's going to be guys that want to see you fish, right? But yep. you're giving you, your attention to those clients. And I think that's a huge part to it as well. Yeah, totally. If I'm sitting in the bed and I have fish with clients and I, I guide some lakes as well. And I just, I start focusing on fishing. No matter what I do, I might be cycling through flies and baits, trying to figure out what's working, doing weird shit out of the back of the boat. But it really just. I, I want to be sitting there telling stories and goofing off and, and making friendships and connections more than I want to catch a muskie when the client is the one who should be catching the muskie. I think that's just a really good sign of a good guy. So uh, that uh, I just wanted to make that as a plus. All right, Rowan. You know, we've had a great conversation, and lately on our episodes we've been wrapping it up with five questions. So... Let me just ask you like a guide question. What would you prefer to guide on? Would you prefer to guide gear or would you prefer to guide flies? You know, from a, a catching fish perspective, I prefer to guide gear. From a experience perspective, I really like a gear guy who wants to learn how to fly fish because they already have those, those musky tools. We're in, you know, we're working on fundamentals in something in that situation. We're not, we're not going out there to pile up five fish when that happens. But at the end of the day, like it's really cool to watch a, a dude who's been fishing for muskies his entire life, try something new and, and like it and want to come back and do it again. All right, Rowan, question number two, we're going to go with a jet boat, drift boat or waiting. Oh man, I'm going to go D prop tunnel haul boat. <laughs> the uh the rivers up north have too many rocks so uh, uh even a jet boat especially in low flows you're just gonna tear the bottom out of your boat but uh in southern wisconsin where i'm guiding mostly we've got just sand and weeds and all i'm all i'm trying to do is is not suck weeds into a jet motor makes sense all right i almost gave you this question earlier so let's go with it now let's go full moon or new moon I'm a new moon guy until it gets really, really late into the season. And it's just the past couple of years, but we've had some crazy bite windows on full moon in like November, December. And, uh, but, but for the other portion of the season, I'm definitely a new moon guy. I, I think that the action is a little more steady throughout the day. I don't want to wake up early all the time and I don't necessarily want to stay out until five in the morning just to catch fish. I I'm really happy when they're eating at one o'clock in the afternoon. And it seems like they do that on new moon more often than not. All right. Now you said that you were a, a minnow bait guy. Let's go with grandma's or Jake's. Oh man. I was a diehard Jake guy for my entire childhood. That's what I caught. 80% of my muskies on I've switched over to grandma's more in recent years. I got one. 
Yep, go ahead. I think, is this number five, Joe? Four, I think, right? Number four? Or, four, or is this five? This is five, I think. Okay. You think I remember this? It's only five questions. I only have to count to five. That's tough. It is. <laughs> I never got past four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rowan. Um, I'm going to get the last question, I guess. I'm curious if you're a steel leader guy or a fluorocarbon guy. I won't touch fluorocarbon. I I don't think there's a reason to do it. And, you know, Ronestrand was talking about uh, his swim bait leaders and how they how they move more, and I, I can understand that. But uh, I, I haven't found a reason to use anything other than wire. For flies, I'm using 40 pounds, 7x7. Seven seven. Gear, I'm using primarily just straight single-strand wire. I'm a wire guy as well. I, I'm... And I agree with you. I don't really see a real big reason to actually go that direction. How long of leaders are you using with your fly gear? I'm using about a two foot section of, of 50 pound fluorocarbon. And then I all brighten out that to a, about a foot to 15 inches of 40 pounds, seven by seven. And then on the end of that, I'm tying a welded ring on with a loop knot. And then I'm split ringing all my flies to that welded ring. Makes sense. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Rowan, if somebody's looking to get in touch with you, they want to book a trip with you, they want to learn more about you, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Facebook and Instagram. I'm, I'm 23. It's definitely easy to get a hold of me on, on the internet. So Instagram's just my name, Rowan Stam, R-O-W-A-N-S-T-A-M-M. Facebook, same deal. And then you can always get a hold of me at 608-381-5524. I probably won't answer if you call but i will get back to you if you leave a message all right well i want to thank you for your time it's amazing how sometimes how fast these episodes go it seems like you know just five minutes ago we started talking muskies and it's it's cool to get a different side of things we don't always get to talk about rivers and fly fishing so i like to mix that up a little bit usually by this time of the season brad and i are already talking about early fall patterns and and quite honestly, recently it hasn't felt anything like fall. And so we're, we're going to skip that over, have a, a completely different episode than what you'd expect this week. But I want to thank you for your time. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will see everybody again with a new one next Wednesday. <laughs>